This podcast is brought to you by the Los Angeles Inner Group of Overeaters Anonymous. Please visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three podcast feeds of over 200 sound files of individual speakers as well as events such as retreats and workshops. You'll also find order forms for ordering CDs of many of these speakers through the San Fernando Valley Inner Group of OA. Finally, we have a donation button where you can contribute to keeping this valuable service continuing for yourself and others. Again, our website is www.oalaig.org. Okay, I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Susan L. Uh, hi everybody, I'm Susan. I am your um, sloppy seconds speaker tonight. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> and a compulsive overeater. I was um, uh, whoever was supposed to speak couldn't speak, so uh, I saw John this morning. He asked me to speak, and um, it's always an honor to be asked to speak at an OA meeting uh, for me. Um, and. Uh, for me, what my sponsor used to say is it just, it really um, is a compliment to my relationship with my higher power if somebody wants me to uh, share at a meeting. So, much as I'd like to take all the credit for myself, but I can't. So, um, I have been abstinent, actually today's my half birthday, I've been abstinent 21 and a half years today. And, and um, my abstinent Abstinence is black and white. It never has never changed. It's been it's as perfect as um, as sobriety is to an alcoholic. It's that it's that black and white, and um, it's no binging, no purging, and no sugar. And uh, my food plan is different, and that's changed a lot over the years. But um, uh, that's my abstinence, and it's not changed. And I think also what I want to say about my abstinence is that the moment I became abstinent, I was just relieved. You know, I was just relieved. Even if I have trouble with some food group today and I call my sponsor and I say, you know, for 30 days I'm not eating whatever, I get instant relief because I don't have to deal with it anymore. And... um, I don't have to deal with anything made with sugar. Um, I eat ketchup, but I mean anything else, you know, uh, that um, that's made with sugar, I don't eat. And the freedom that I get from not having to eat something, you know, um, being powerless over something is kind of remarkable. Um, so when I was just sitting there uh, just now, I was thinking about... Um, what I was going to talk about. And um, I don't know why, but the thought popped into my head that uh, if I knew me when I was 25, let's, let's say 25, and I met who I am today, I would be absolutely unrecognizable. And probably I wouldn't like myself either very much. Um, and uh, I would say that was because, well, number one, because I have a higher power, which... At 25, that was so disdainful. That was just for people who were weak and uh, people who could live their lives just saying, why, because, because, and not need any answers to things. I needed answers to everything. Um, 
and um, and because today I try to the best of my ability to access my feelings at any given moment, and um, what that means is I don't. I don't have to be my feelings. I just have my feelings. I always have to say that because I uh, I don't want to be my feelings all the time. Um, and uh, but I have them, and I want to access them and know them and uh, and feel them. And when I was 25, that was just that was like for sissies, you know. That was for babies who would complain about everything, and, um, you know, it's funny. My mother used to say when I was a kid, and she said it to me this year, she actually repeated it, and I was so amazed. She said, you know what, Susan, when people ask you how you're doing, they don't really want to know. So, uh, and she she told me that this year. So, um, she was consistent, that's for sure. So... (laughs) Anyways, and I took that to heart, too. You know, if I was feeling badly about something, nobody cared. Nobody wanted to know it. So I was always fine. Um, But I wasn't fine. I started obsessing about food when I was four years old. And uh, so that that tells me a lot right there. I mean, to me, that, that just means I didn't feel comfortable being who I was. And, uh, and it didn't feel safe to me to be exactly who Susan was at that time. And, um, and I have to say that it, it wasn't safe uh, where I grew up. I, my perception is it wasn't safe for me to be who I was. Um, you know, it was very much, uh, you know, the adults ruling the house and what they say went. And um, if you didn't agree with them, it could get pretty scary, pretty scary. I learned the tap dance real early on, and I think that's why I needed to have the food, because I learned the party line, and I was a good little soldier, and I said exactly what I knew that they wanted wanted to hear, and um, I made them laugh, I entertained them, and uh, I knew that was my safest bet, you know, just to... to stay under the fire and um, and I used to wonder why my sister and brother weren't doing that you know why were they like speaking their minds about things and really you know having hell to pay for it but um, but uh, I learned that pretty early on so by the time I was six I was being teased for my size and uh, learned at the ripe old age of six to hate to hate my body, and bless you, and um, oh hi Lisa, um, and uh, I hated myself. And you know today I, I've had nieces and nephews who, who who have been six in their lives, and they're just little. They're practically babies, you know. And I think how could I have hated myself so deeply at that age? Um, I had a particular relative who used to tease me, and when he came over, I stood behind things. I didn't want him to notice my body, so he would say stuff to me. You know, some kids at school teased me, and um, I remember one kid, he said, you're chubby. And I said, no, I'm not, (laughs) you know, like uh, I didn't look in the mirror. But um, denial is a good thing, I guess. But I did hate myself, and I knew that I was, and I knew I was different from the kids at school. Um, 
but I couldn't stop eating. And uh, I think the next year when I was seven, I started stealing money from my parents um, so that I could give it to somebody, this kid at school, who could buy me things, you know, um, anything that said hostess on it, you know. And um, and he used to do that. And, um, you know, it, it, it wasn't difficult to figure out how to get my fix. It just wasn't a difficult thing. It was scary because I thought, well, what if I get caught, you know, and I kind of always took the money terrified that I was going to get caught. But I had to. I had to have that food. And I had to have, for me, it was that sugar. Um, we didn't have that kind of stuff in the house. And, um, and I had to have it. And I made sure I had it. I just made sure I had it. And I learned to eat very fast and shove it all in, you know. Um, and uh, I used to think, well, if I just could eat it at my own pace and enjoy it, then I wouldn't be a compulsive eater, you know. If I could just, you know, just eat a box of candy, one piece at a time, then I wouldn't probably be a compulsive overeater. But um, my experience is that didn't work either. I tried it. I tried everything, really. Um, so also during this time that I am uh, learning to use food, I am also very aware of this, but I'm, I'm a big sneak now, so I walk around in this world feeling like a fraud, you know, because you, you could find out at any given moment what I really do. And, um, and it was hard. It was, a, it was a hard life, and it made me, um, as a kid, uh, pretty anxious, and then um, when I was about 10, something happened to make me really anxious in my life, and I was, honestly, I was just like a nervous wreck growing up, and, um, and food just soothed me, and food kind of like was my friend in that way. It didn't talk back to me. It just, uh, it filled me up, not just physically, but mentally and it put me in just a zone it just put me someplace else and um you know when i was a kid i think i would have died of loneliness if i didn't have my food honestly i uh, there was really nobody that i could trust could rely on um unfortunately the adults in my life all betrayed me at one time or another but food never betrayed me you know, it just never betrayed me, and um, and for that I I was I was grateful, and um, and I guess today I'm still grateful for that actually because uh, I obviously was medicating myself. I needed to do that. Um, so, but I also was obsessed. Like I said, I hated my body. When I was ten, I was put on my first diet. Um, I was away for the summer, and uh, when my mother saw me <laughs> at the end of the summer, she kind of went crazy because I gained a lot of weight. And um, with all that swimming and, you know, kickball and baseball, all, that, all the camp activities, and I still managed to gain a lot of weight. Um, and uh, so I was put on my first diet. It lasted five days. I lost five pounds. And I thought that's what happens on diets. You you take the the uh, top piece off off your sandwich at lunch, 
and you lose a pound a day. I, I think that's all I did for my diet, you know. I didn't have potato chips at lunch. And um, that's what I did. So I kind of expected that that's what all diets, that's all you really had to do. You know, not a big deal. Um, and a pound a day. That was it, a pound a day. And that kind of, that fantasy I carried with me into my adult life as well. Um, and what that did for me as an adult was when I didn't lose all that weight so quickly, um, I just decided the diet wasn't working. Um, I might as well eat exactly what I want to eat now. I'll never eat it again if I let myself eat everything I want to eat today. And, um, and then everything will be okay. And, um, you know, I, I, I heard years ago when I first came in, people said the definition of insanity, you know, was doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. And uh, lately my favorite definition of insanity that I've heard is thinking it's going to be different this time, you know, uh, thinking that, um, that this diet is going to work or eating like this is going to work or eating have, or binging is going to work because for some reason I thought if I binged today I'd never want that food ever again. And, um, you know, food goes through my body pretty quickly. So uh, I just had a hunger. And I still have that hunger inside me. I have a hunger for something. Um, I think that it was love really, all along, and um, and anything out there didn't fix it, but food fixed it for me. Food really fixed it for a long time. And then uh, what happened is it stopped working for me. And uh, the, um, the obsession uh, in my mind just kind of grew and grew and grew. And my disease progressed and progressed and progressed. So uh, by the time I was in my 30s, I would um, not be able to be on a diet, you know, past 10 o'clock in the morning. And um, I also want to say this about dieting. I would wake up every day and think, what is my diet going to be today? And um, I had this book, Consumer Reports, Rates the Diets. And um, I looked, I read this book over and over again looking for the diet that was going to let me eat whatever I want and guarantee I was going to lose that pound a day. And um, at that time, you know, the Atkins diet just came out. And um, on that diet, you can eat certain foods, at least he thought at the time, you could eat certain foods as much as you wanted, and you were going to lose weight. And, um, you know, that was, that was good for me. Uh, and so I tried that diet. Unfortunately, I'm not even 5'2". I can't eat whatever I want and not, and not gain weight. Uh, so that was a fallacy. And um, also, so here's two things that happened to me on that, uh, on that food plan. So um, you can eat cream. You could have... Uh, sugar-free jello. So what I did was I, I made a bowl of whipped cream, you know, whipped it up and put my fake sweetener in it, and then I had this bowl of jello, and I would take a spoonful of jello and plop it in the bowl of whipped cream, and that was my dessert. And that was, was a great dessert. And, um, 
And then, after, you know what, two days being on this diet, I'm craving celery because I can't have it, you know. I I'd never in my life craved so, celery, but on the Atkins diet, I crave celery. So, um, you know, that's what it was. That's what diets were for me. You know, it was what I couldn't have, I needed. And I needed it so ferociously that um, that it used to scare me at times. And I used to just really just be so... Sad isn't even the word. I was just so heartbroken because I knew that there are people, there are people who are normal with food, who are out there living life and having a great time and having families and relationships and uh, going places and doing things. And if I am home, I am uh, binging, purging, thinking about my next bit of food, wondering where it's all going to come from next, and um, truly feeling powerless, truly, truly, truly feeling powerless over food. There's just, honestly, it's, it's like the best, the best word for it, and, um, and I would never have described myself like that before I came here because that really would have meant horrible things for me. So... Um, so my disease is getting worse now, and so it's 10 o'clock in the morning, and now I, I, I can't, I have to binge. I just have to binge um, by 10 o'clock in the morning, and, um, and I have to eat a lot of sugar. I mean, that's kind of really what I, what I used to binge on, although I also binged on regular normal food, too. I mean, I can honestly binge on anything. I, I could binge on chicken. You know, I, I could binge on anything, oh, except vegetables. I can't binge on vegetables because I don't need to. I, I just never, it never struck me. But, and maybe it's because I never feel full from vegetables, you know, but I can, anything just to fill me up. So I came into OA uh, because I was at a wedding shower. There are two things that, that brought me here. I was in a wedding shower at a wedding shower, and the person sitting next to me was kind of, she was wearing all white, and she was blonde, and she, I swear there was like a rainbow over her, over her body, and, um, and she asked the person whose house it was at, uh, we were all drinking champagne, whatever, and uh, she asked if there was any, she had any herbal tea. I never heard of herbal tea at that point, and I thought, what is that? But what I noticed about this woman and her rainbow is everybody was everybody else was kind of uh, all the other women they were kind of competing with each other about different things and um, just kind of trying to outdo each other except for me who knew I was you know a piece of shit I didn't have to compete I couldn't and this woman with the rainbow who just sat there as calmly and as serenely as could be. And I had known this woman ten years before. I, I, I used to see her. We used to work at the same place. So I knew her. And ten years before, she was like, she used to brag all the time about how great she was and how great everything she did was and how wonderful she was. And she was kind of bossy and um, never cared about another living soul. And there she is just drinking her herbal tea 
and um, just kind of watching everything. And um, I, I called her that night, and um, I basically said to her, I didn't know I was saying the magic words, but I basically said, ah, you have what I want, because she just seemed to be comfortable in her own skin. And honestly, I didn't think that was possible for me. And um, also, I knew this guy who came to Overeaters Anonymous. He lost 100 pounds, and he never gained it back. And we used to go out, and he would actually eat like what looked like to be a normal person, and um, which meant he ate in front of me. And, uh, you know, I, I was one of those eating like a bird in front of people, like I was fooling them. But, um, and he did that. And he never gained the weight back. And uh, so I thought, okay, so OA is for me. So I went and um, I kind of, I went to five meetings in five days. I bought the big book the first day. I went home and I read it. And it made me so uncomfortable. I didn't understand a thing he was saying, number one. But for some reason, what I didn't understand, I hated the book. And it made me so uncomfortable, I went and I threw it out right then and there that night. I did want, not want to have this book in my house. And, um, and you know, the God thing really turned me off. And uh, I thought, you know what? I can do this myself. I don't have to join a group. Because, honestly, I am most comfortable when I'm sitting home by myself, the phone's unplugged, the shades are drawn, the TV's on, the remote is in my hand, and I'm just sitting there, you know, eating and uh, channel surfing. That's really my, uh, that's my, that was my comfort zone at the time. And uh, joining something was not anything I wanted to do. Um, and I guess, you know, as I say, I had more eating to do because I came in here, I was a size 18. And um, and I kind of crawled in. I didn't want to be here. I, I was utterly defeated. I just, food had me licked, as it says in the big book. I, I just couldn't, um, I couldn't be on one more diet. I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't control one more thing, uh, one more kind of food. And I just felt so out of control with it. I was kind of willing to do pretty much what anybody said. And I knew you were going to talk about God because the steps didn't change in those few years. And um, I thought, I'll just, I'll make my peace with this. I'll, I'll do what I can do and uh, work it out for myself. You know, work my own program. And so I, uh, when I heard the steps, when I heard them read at a meeting, I think it's probably the first time I paid attention to them, I saw that any step that had God in it, capital H, whatever, I did not have to take that step um, because, you know, they're suggested anyway, um, which I have realized later on that the steps aren't suggested. This is a program of recovery that's suggested, as it says in the big book. So, but that was the way I wanted to read it. And, um, and then when I heard step two that uh, a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity, I was very insulted because uh, that meant, obviously, that I was insane, that I had to be restored to sanity. And who did they think they were? You know, just nobody knew me and they wrote these steps. And I'm not crazy. I have a life. I, I, I have a job. I pay my bills. I live in a nice place. I have a car. I 
bathe, you know. How could people think I was insane? But I realized then, uh, now, in retrospect, I was getting way ahead of myself because I, I admitted that I was powerless over food, but um, that my life was unmanageable. No thanks. That my life was fine. I, I didn't need anything else but the diet. Honestly, that's all that I needed. I didn't need one more friend. Don't hug me. Just stay away from me. You know, leave before anybody could talk to me. And um, just give me the diet. And uh, it took a long time before I realized I used to think the diet was in the big book. That's how insane I was, actually, now that I think about it. I'm looking for a diet in a book called Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, I mean, it's just kind of crazy. Nothing made sense. Nothing made sense. And uh, my head was spinning because the food was running my life. It was just running my life. And, um, And I just was that desperate. So I came in. And um, I just kind of sat and listened. I went to meetings, you know, all the time. Not all the time. I went to meetings, though, pretty much every day in the beginning. And um, <clears throat> I just kind of listened to what, what people said. And I really, that serenity that that woman had, I saw that. I saw pieces of that from people who would speak at the meetings. And, you know, I, I started wanting that more than I wanted anything. And um, so I paid attention to how they got it, you know. And um, so people had sponsors. So I started looking for a sponsor. Um, I don't know about you, but I really had a hell of a time finding a sponsor. Um, The first person I asked to sponsor me laughed at me. That was fun. Uh, And uh, that was cause for a binge. And... um, and I actually, my first sponsor, I was kind of fixed up with her because I knew somebody in AA, and this guy knew her. She was in both programs. And I said, I can't find a sponsor. And he said, well, uh, this woman, uh, Paula was her name. She doesn't even live in the state anymore. Uh, uh, she's looking to sponsor people, so why don't you call her? And I called her. I, I sight unseen, and I just asked her if she would be my sponsor, and she said yes. And um, I called her every day at the same time. I met her at a meeting once a week. We went out for coffee after that meeting. And um, I kind of hung on to every word that she said. Uh, So now I'm trying to get abstinent. And I am now so insane because I'm trying to do this. I really don't have a program that I'm practicing. And I'm trying to be abstinent. And... I would wake up so crazy that I I still have all my writings and stuff from when I first came in. And um, I have this little post-it, and I remember this so clearly. And the post-it says, uh, take a shower, wash hair, get dressed, call Paula. Because I called her and I said, I am so out of my mind. I don't even know what to do right now. And she said... Take a shower, wash your hair, get dressed, call me back. And, you know, that's kind of how I had to do that morning. And it was kind of crazy because I never knew people to talk to other people like this. So personally, not, and so personally and so kindly, you know, people were nice. Nobody yelled at me. That was kind of startling. 
Um, and something else happened early on that had such an impression on me. So I'm at this meeting. It was a day. T- they used to have daytime meetings at the log cabin every day. So I'm at this meeting, and um, I had to ask the secretary something. And uh, it was a big book meeting, so the big book was open on on the table. And um, this woman comes up to the secretary, so she came up to her before I did. So I was just kind of standing there waiting, and um, the woman says to the secretary, "You know." I'm a writer, and I can't help but notice that this book really is poorly written. And um, I would like to offer my services to help rewrite this book. And I got frightened. I thought, oh, my God, she's going to get it, you know. And uh, the secretary said, well, thank you. That's so nice of you to offer. Um, Here's the address. Gave her the address of, you know, uh, OA, I mean, AA's, you know, uh, general services in New York. She said, here's where you can contact them if you'd like to do that. It was amazing to me that somebody who said something that I knew was so crazy and out there, and she was, like, dealt with with dignity and respect. And that's been my experience here. And uh, by me getting that experience, I, in turn learn to treat other people with dignity and respect because I promise you, that's not the way I, I dealt with people. Um, and then by that, I get to treat myself with dignity and respect as much as I can do that. And, um, and that's somebody that my 25-year-old Susan would never, never, never have um, recognized. Um, So the God thing, I just want to talk about that for a minute before I finish up. Um, So I didn't believe in God, didn't want to believe in God, only for weak people or stupid people. And and I just didn't want it. But I noticed that the people who had that serenity, that thing that I was looking for, um, other than they were powerless over food, the only other thing they had in common was that they believed in a higher power. And, um, and they believed that this higher power could do for them what they couldn't do for themselves, meaning be abstinent. And um, my desperation with the food just got me to the place that I was willing to pretend I believed in God. Um, people say act as if, you know, to do things. Thanks. Um, and um, so I pretended. And I kind of would lie in bed and, you know, talk to my ceiling and, um, and kind of dare God to burn a bush in my bedroom. And um, that didn't happen. Um, but I just kept going with it, you know. I just kept going with it. And then one day I, I had one of those experiences, uh, some of them that he, he mentions in the big book, where I... Uh, heard from my higher power. Uh, I know it sounds crazy, but that's kind of what happened. And um, I was really stunned by it. I didn't think anything like that would happen to me. And, um, but it did, happy to say. And uh, what I did from that time on, because I still didn't get abstinent, it took me five months to get abstinent when I came in, and um, I kind of had to develop my, a God consciousness because now here's a new relationship that I had no experience with. And so what I, I did was, you know, what other people did. I, you know, would get up in the morning and 
you know, have some books on my night table so I could quickly get that I had a God in my life and, and get connected like that. And uh, when good things happened, I, um, I, I tried to, you know, I disciplined myself. I trained myself um, to thank God for good things. And um, when I was in need of something and I couldn't get a hold of somebody on the phone, was what would God have me do? And uh, for some reason, those answers were, number one, they were always different than what I thought I should do. Um, they were always about honesty. That was crazy. And, um, and they were always right for me. And uh, I, I never got steered wrong with that. So, um, so three months later, I was on the third step. I kept working the steps. I uh, kept calling my sponsor, doing everything, going to meetings, writing, all that stuff reading the literature. I loved the literature uh, when I started understanding it. And, um, and when I was on the third step, trying to figure out how I'm going to turn my will and my life over to God, uh, there were some things that happened. Um, number one, so now I have to tell you that in this five-month period, I gained 10 pounds. Uh, I was the heaviest I ever was um, because I was so frightened of, of going, for me, between lunch and dinner without food. That was just terrifying for me. And um, I ran into this guy that I knew from a, a job who was in AA. And we were going for a walk. And he said, so, Susan, how long have you been in OA? And I said, mm, about five months. And he said, you're heavier than you you were when you started. What's the deal? Why, why haven't you lost weight? And I said, bless you. And I had no answer. He said, and I've seen your sponsor. And she's fat. And uh, he was right about that. She was. I saw her, you know. Uh, she was. And I said, well, you know, maybe she's like a better coach than she is, you know, like with athletes, you know. She can coach people, but she can't do it herself. Not fully understanding this whole idea of we share experience with people. We don't tell people what to do. She told me what to do a lot, though. Um, obviously wasn't doing what she told me to do. And, um, and that day, I had to get honest with myself. Because the week before, I had had a birthday cake. I had I had a birthday, and I had half a birthday cake for breakfast, but I called it abstinent because it had a beginning, a middle, and an end. Mm-hmm. Abstinent to me, I stopped eating. There was a time between uh, breakfast and lunch. And as hard it was, as it was to hear that, I had to face the truth. He was right. Why was I going to OA? I wanted to lose weight. That was really why. That was solely why I came here. And I wasn't. And I wasn't because I wasn't eating the way I wanted to eat as an abstinent human being. And, um, and I got abstinent. That day, I got abstinent. It was a Sunday. I didn't wait for Monday. I didn't have one last binge. None of that. I just got, I just got freedom. I just got freedom from sugar and freedom from, I had been bulimic for 15 years. I got freedom from that. And um, I'm going to wrap up in a second. Uh, So my journey since then 
has really kind of simple is continue to do what I did in the beginning, you know, because it all worked. Why would I stop? Why would I stop reading the literature? Why would I stop calling a sponsor? Why would I stop, you know, uh, doing the work, continue to take personal inventory kind of thing? Why, why would I stop doing that when it's the only thing in my life that has ever given me any peace? And um, so I'd be kind of crazy to, to stop that. So um, I think that's it. Thank you, John, for asking me to come here. And uh, thank you all. Okay. So, uh, oh, Carol. My friend Carol is in the back. Yes. Hi, Carol. Thank you. You mentioned as a child that you use food to soothe. Right. How do you soothe yourself as an adult today as far as instead of using the food, what are your ways of soothing yourself? Okay, so the question is for, for the uh, recording is how do I soothe myself today? If I use food as a child, what do I do today? Um, here's the thing, that coming here, and using the tools and doing everything that I talked about, the writing, the reading, calling my sponsor, having people treat me with dignity and respect, learning to do that, I don't need it. I just, life is different, you know, and I don't need it today um, because I have different tools. So I don't have to walk around boiling over with resentment. I don't have to eat at people who piss me off. I have steps that I can take that um, take that burden off me. So it's, um, it's a gift of, uh, of recovery from the program. Thank you. Okay, <laughs> hey, yeah. Oh, that is personal. Okay, so the question is, like, what kind of signs that I get from my higher power to to know that I w- that that I do have one? Um, it was a Sunday. I guess good things happened to me on Sunday afternoons. I had been home. I was reading the big book, and I was in my living room. I walked into the bedroom to put the book down, and I felt my whole body got like it was being held like kind of in a in a really wonderful caress and I heard a voice and it said you are not alone and you never have been and I didn't I wasn't speaking and I was the only person in the room and it was it was pretty stunning for me it was pretty stunning and um, I thought wow I've got a higher power. I really do. And uh, I remember the next day I went to a meeting and I shared about it and I was embarrassed to talk about it because so self-centered, not thinking that 90% of the people in the room have a higher power, you know, and the other 10% are trying to get one. I was embarrassed that I heard that. And I was embarrassed that I said that I had a higher power. But I was so kind of blown away by it and had to share it. 
Okay, thanks everybody.